0: AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by ATT and t data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Brian, you found an interesting story about uh, Docker security. Not quite the security of Docker, but of using other people's uh, Docker images. Can you tell us a little bit more about it?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting, and I think there are a few different things going on in this article, but I think it's an interesting article, and I'm not going to take credit for finding it, but I'll take a little bit of credit for walking through this with you here, Dave. And By the way, it's good to see you again. Hey, uh, so this is a case, you know, the title here is Crypto Jacking Invades Cloud, How Modern Containerization Trend is Exploited by Attackers. I'm not sure I would treat that as more of an exploitation as much as it's taking advantage of the opportunities here. Mm -hmm. Um, First, I think it's useful to talk a little bit about the terminology, that is, when we talk about containers, containers are really a way of packaging software so that you can run them in a cloud environment without having to spin up an entire operating system to support it. And then uh, Docker Hub is referred to in this article where Uh, It's basically a place to house your uh, containerized uh, uh, software images, your container images. And then Kubernetes is also involved here in the sense that uh, Kubernetes is a means to help manage lots of containers, uh, perhaps on many servers and, and perhaps associated with many different applications. And so obviously this would be capability or tooling that would be very advantageous for somebody that runs a botnet. In this case they're
2: using it for uh, crypto mining uh, like we have seen. Like uh, in this case I think it's more specifically for Monero mining. They're leveraging the cloud environment resources to you know basically mine it in the automated fashion.
1: So what folks are doing is looking for opportunities to uh, exploit docker environments and take advantage of that by uh, deploying containers in there that Perform crypto mining activities. So, you know, the real, I'll say, crime here is that they're stealing compute resources from somebody else's account. Mm-hmm. Um, so my understanding
0: of how this this works is that they were actually compromising the Docker images that were posted to Docker Hub. So it's like saying if I modify my version of my I...
1: no, well there there may be in fact cases like that, but okay. they're also using the Docker Hub as actually a deployment point for malware. And so they had their own account that was actually associated with uh, having basically distributing malware. Okay. and uh, it, it was a you know basically there were five million pulls that were associated with that. So there was a significant amount of deployment of that software, and there may have been a number of updates and things along the way to uh, improve it. But it was really, in their case, this particular case, it was a specific specific account that was associated with this uh, malware distribution. You are somebody who manages these sorts of environments using a lot of these Docker
0: images or or other uh, cloud orchestration type things where you can pull in images from other places. Being more aware of how to secure and make sure that you're not running somebody else's code
1: is is very important. And you know, it's um, it's interesting because there has been certainly a surge toward, or a trend toward, more. Um, crypto mining activities and trying to use botnets for that type of purpose where we had seen a lot in the past they were used for denial of service attacks or other activities but i think perhaps the law enforcement activities toward protecting against denial of service attacks uh and uh, you know it's a little difficult to earn money doing that that uh, it perhaps is moving more organizations or you know organized crime toward uh doing uh, the crypto mining as a means to earn also their revenue.
2: more liquidity nowadays, actually, with crypto mining rather than going with ransomware and DDoS. Right. I think uh, that's why we have seen uh, lots of ransomware targeting towards Monero mining.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's definitely less risk involved in in mining than there is in operating a. a DDoS for Hire scheme, mm-hmm. for example, because yeah. you have to expose yourself to customers if you're running DDoS for Hire. Here, you just have to get your software onto somebody else's machine, and it makes money for you.
1: Right. So here's my little uh, uh, little twist on this. The um, the moral of the story, if you will. Um, first of all, you know when you look at the fact that the criminals are trying to uh, use automation tools to help make their job easier and do it faster and at a greater scale, um, security teams need to really be t- paying attention to that as well. Well, you know, the bad guys are using automation and so the security teams that are protecting organizations really need to be focused on automation to help essentially beat the arms race. The second one here is that uh, basically every computer or virtual machine or workload or container must be secure. Uh, And uh, last but not least here, that um, we need to be careful in the cloud. There's a lot of new technology there. I think a lot of organizations are being pushed very quickly into cloud environments to solve their enterprise problems, do it at a lower cost. Uh, But when you have a lot of new technology, it's difficult to understand it very quickly. There's a lot of new technology there, a lot of opportunities to make mistakes, and so it's important to take advantage of the security features that are in these cloud environments and make sure they're being used in a robust way to help protect against those mistakes. That is, uh, there have been many news reports of exposures of data, uh, exposures of, and uh, you know, cloud environments that uh, could become a serious problem. On the good side of that, there are a lot of security capabilities that are becoming available in cloud environments, and so it's important to take advantage of those so that you can protect your environment and make sure that it's it's protected well. I know we've been doing some things internally to uh, protect our public cloud uh, deployments of capabilities, not to mention our internal cloud, Mm -hmm. and uh, have been actually finding a number of things that have been very valuable in terms of making sure that we're protected well, Mm -hmm. and uh, actually have an automated remediation capability in place today, so it helps to protect against those that are learning and um, which we want them to learn, but uh, helps protect against them making mistakes in the process.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Brian. Oh, thank
1: you. My pleasure. It's nice
0: to be back. Uh, thank you for coming back.
1: <laughs> Glad to have you.
2: Uh, Matt, I heard uh, you have some story about the TapLag SmartLag? and how it can be easily exploited in different ways. Could you like to elaborate a little
0: bit on that? So this is one of those stories that gets better every time somebody updates it. Um, So there was a smart lock that was released, and company TapLock put this lock out with multiple ways of unlocking it. Uh, You can put your finger on it as a fingerprint reader. You can connect to it with your phone. And when those two fail, you can hit a button on the bottom and sort of tap out a Morse code, code to unlock it. And this whole thing is managed through an app on your phone. Sounds fun. However, um, the, first, the first flaw that people had reported about this lock was on a YouTube channel, someone was able to open up the back of the phone by sticking something sticky to the back, in this case, a GoPro, like a camera mount, and then applying a twisting force, and it would come off, and the back would come off. Mm-hmm. And once you're inside of a lock like this, that's pretty much game over. Mm-hmm. Um, Houdini knew that, by the way. Houdini? So Pentest Partners, who's been around for a little while and does IoT style uh, engagements, decided to take a look at this device as well. So they ordered their own. Uh, They they were not able to reproduce that same physical attack. What they did do is they connected to the the lock over Bluetooth using the app, and they intercepted the traffic, which was possible because the traffic wasn't encrypted. Mm. Turns out that you can do something called lock sharing with this lock, Mm. and that means you can, you know, send your friend the message, say, okay, I'm gonna give you permission to open up my lock. Um, and typically when you have a lock sharing scheme like that, with like the, your front door or any of those other smart locks, you're given like a temporary code, right? This code will work for this amount of time. It's revocable at any time. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with the tap lock. Uh, it turns out it's the same exact key that you use to open your lock. So even if you were to, to delete it, it's the permanent one key that opens the lock. It's kind mm-hmm. of a problem. Mm-hmm. But the bigger problem is that you are able to connect to this lock and the, the pairing key over Bluetooth low energy is actually based on the Bluetooth Low Energy MAC address of the lock, Mm -hmm. which is something that gets broadcast. So once you know how to calculate it, all you have to do is be within Bluetooth range of the lock, do the math, Mm -hmm. and then use that to pair to the lock, and then you have Mm -hmm. control over it.
1: So this this sounds like a series of kind of, what I would describe as classic learning how to do security Mm -hmm. mistakes.
0: Before you go any further, there's more.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, the, another gentleman, Vangelis Stikas, I hope I'm saying the name right, took a look at the opposite end. So when you've mm-hmm. got a physical log like this that also has you know, uh, cloud functionality, like your, that's a, an account you're managing, mm-hmm. you've got to take a look at the APIs on their website, mm-hmm. which are also accessible over HTTP, which also allow direct object reference.
1: That is, you're saying HTTP, not HTTPS, Not right? HTTPS. Okay. That
0: is an that is important point to make. And the other thing is the direct object reference. So if I can make a request to the API, which requires a valid token Mm -hmm. and not necessarily the valid token for the information you're trying to request, you can both read the information about the lock, which includes things like the last geolocation where the lock was opened. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You can also send things to the API, like unlock my lock. Mm -hmm. So this is yet another way of opening these locks, which Mm -hmm. is
1: You know, it's kind of uh, a mess. You know, it's interesting to see what starts out as a relatively simple technology and adding features to it, which is very nice for convenience, but by definition, essentially, when you make something more complex, it's more likely gonna be less secure. My hope is that you're gonna follow up with "Is oh, they're fixing all these things. (laughs) Well, that's exactly what they've announced.
0: Um, They have said that they are going to be pushing security updates for both the application and the firmware to the lock, and they're working on their back end, which sort of covers, in a generic sense, all the problems that have been announced. Mm -hmm. I'm positive that once they come out with those patches, the security community is going to dive in and take another look at what's been changed, and there will probably be a follow-up blog post at some point from somebody because Mm -hmm. of the... The attention that this has gotten—it's really on the developers of these sorts of devices to understand what it is that they're doing and ensure
1: that by adding this functionality, they're not actually weakening their lock. Interesting article because I think that's—I um, think that's pretty exemplary of this whole transition to IoT, where we've had traditional, very mechanical, mechanically driven technologies that are evolving into the software and electronic world. And uh, there's a big learning curve in doing that. In fact, very similar to what we talked about earlier. Even the transition in the cloud is a big learning curve. This is a transition into the digital world and mobile apps where there's a big learning curve there. Mistakes are going to be made, and hopefully they're in a position to correct those. So long as organizations are working in the right direction to correct the problems, I think we're on a relatively good path. Okay, Ganesh, you know, uh, you've been doing some analysis here, found some activity on port 8000 TCP, and I think some others have found that activity as well, so yeah. what's the deal?
2: Yeah, there was actually increase in um, scanners as we are seeing in the past few days. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of started on um, last Thursday around, I think, 614. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were also some reaches from the lab they found, I think uh, they're saying it's related to settlery. So what we did is and we're trying to look from our system, you know, from our CBB backbone, and see any, if we have any indicators related to that, maybe any additional indicators in addition to what they are talking about. So this graph is a little bit uh, busier, but I'll explain it a little bit. The graph here I'm showing is about 45 days here. Uh, I'm trying to show here what point we have seen some increased traffic related to various Satori variants. Uh, The activity we are seeing here is around this time. Uh, This is on port 8000. In this case, what they're saying is that there's one specific uh, web server, mini web server exploit, which the Satori authors actually incorporated into their arsenal to actually, uh, that's what their theme is. Uh, They're trying to figure out new exploit code and adding them to the existing ones. Mm Uh, and typically, it uses HTTP ports 80 and as well as 8,000. Uh, but clearly, it shows much of activity on 8,000 TCP here. Uh, this is what actually we have seen with respect to 8,000 TCP in the last 14 days. Uh, around this point, actually, they're leveraging this uh, vulnerability. In, I think Xiong, I think it's uh, one of the HTTP servers used most predominantly in asia Pack region. And they have specific version of 1.00 which is vulnerable, and uh, it has a CV number of CV and 188, which they are leveraging to actually scan, uh, scan the internet to find any devices with uh, that uh, specific uh, flavor.
1: Well, before you go on here, I guess so. so they're they're scanning this uh, this Zongmai, um Application is that is that a web server that's used in an embedded systems? Is, yeah, it's yeah.
2: used in IoT devices, like any like. Uh, but I think it's a mini web server kind of thing, okay. which they have uh, okay. this vulnerability. I think they know which w- version has the vulnerability, and they're specifically looking for that.
1: Okay, and there's specific products that are, have that incorporated yeah. that, will, okay.
2: I think this seems to be, on my research, this seems to be more prevalent in asia Pack. I think that's mm-hmm. the reason we are seeing more there too. Mm-hmm. That kind of uh, explains the timeline, why Netlabs is seeing more compared to other parts of the world. Okay. Um, and this is the same thing showing us the volume increase with respect to the same scan sources increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to show you to I mean, show the increment we are seeing in this case. It lasted for a couple of days, then kind of tapered off. But even though it's kind of tapered off, the reason is they found out another actually, they put another exploit code into their arsenal. In this case, it's specific to dealing that 2750B. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, actually, they're using it as a wormable capability, not mm-hmm. just a nice scannable. If they're finding, I think they're trying to propagate to additional devices which have this expert core. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll come back to, if you let like me, to come back to the first slide. Actually, here, when we see 45 days here, around this time, I think uh, 5 or 10, this is where we've seen a sharp increase in ports 80 and 8,000. Uh, These two are actually used by the Satori, Dasan, Jipan routers around this time. There were two CV exploits codes were used that's been actually utilized by the Satori. And actually in the third slide I talked about um, the D-Link exploit code. When I look back actually we have a spike around 525. They said theirs was exploit code and 525 Mm -hmm. and we have that visibility. It's just for one hour, I think, um, if I remember correctly, there are two or three scanners. They did that uh, very fast scanning at they then to dormant. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, they're leveraging with uh, 80 and 8,000 ports around this time. Right. While well, looking at actually um, from the reports, there seems to be one um, C2 port. Uh, which, which, this is not a typical port we typically see on the internet right. or any other port. It's very low volume port but when we are looking at, it, there was very very little spike here, and there was one alert in our system too, and this one scanner from Asia Pack region. I think maybe some devices are trying to contact with the C two via mm-hmm. this port. Other than that, uh, we do not have uh, much correlation here, but we have seen a definite correlation with the C two port.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So do we know what the objective of this
2: botnet is? Does- uh, this botnet is a typical, it's panned out of from MRI, like mm-hmm. another IoT botnet. Okay. Uh, the way they're doing is, I think, uh, this is their fifth iteration of uh, setory. And this, uh, at this point, actually, they have another capability. And uh, some of the setories doesn't have always this capability. They have vast number of uh, DDoS vectors. Like for example, they can do UDP flooding. I think uh, TCP syn flood, as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are also heavily targeting uh, TCP ACK flooding, addition to I think a uh, GRT flooding. Uh, that's what they have the capability. I, I think uh, at that at some point they may utilize those vectors. Uh, to DDoS mm-hmm. but there were some reports on the internet chatter uh, they at least uh, witnessed a couple of uh, DDoS vectors to one or two IPs mm-hmm. um, but th- that's not substantial but th- definitely they have that capability to provide Ddoses DDoS to mm-hmm. their victims.
1: You know it's interesting being the old guy at the table here um, there was a you know previous era of botnets that occurred that were based on predominantly Microsoft Windows platforms Mm -hmm. prior to Windows instituting automatic updates. That activity got cleaned up, and now we're in a second era of botnets that are targeting IoT devices of a variety, and we've already talked about the expanding repertoire of devices that are being targeted, but on top of that, the command and control mechanisms are also evolving to facilitate greater scale yeah. and more resiliency against takedown efforts.
0: It's interesting though, you, know, you mentioned that back in the day there was no up- auto update for Windows, and back then I think you could really get away with having one good vulnerability against Windows and you could build your botnet for forever. And it seems like things Over- have accelerated. Good, yeah. And even though we don't really have a great way of updating all these disparate IoT devices and their own vulnerabilities, be it you know something that's actually part of the device or like a, just a poorly configured password, um, we see more acceleration in the number of vulnerability these guys are willing to, mm-hmm. to bring out mm-hmm. in order to build their botnet. Like they can't get away with just one anymore. It seems yeah. like there's, there's more and more. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's indicative of us doing a better job as a community and securing things. It might suggest that it is, mm-hmm. but it might suggest that these guys are just more savvy than the last, uh, the last generation.
1: Oh, well, I mean, it, they, they had the opportunity to learn from history, so they, there have been uh, activities there. But, you know, I think it's uh, interesting you point out that whole update thing because I think the real important thing going forward is, um, you know, I've been saying this actually for years, is that there really only is one security feature that you must have in any device, and it's the ability to fix it without human intervention. Mm -hmm. And it's especially important for IoT devices because the notion of IoT means you don't necessarily have a keyboard and a screen and a human sitting in front of it ever necessarily. And so, to be able to do that without human intervention is the fundamental, most important capability. There will be flaws. There will be mistakes that will be found. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to fix it and push it out there without having to go and run out in the middle of a pipeline, in the middle of who knows where in the woods, mm-hmm. and actually fix a device. Yeah,
0: that's fair. I like okay. it. Good discussion. All right. Thanks, Ganesh. Thank you. So let's take a look at the internet weather for this past week. Uh, These are the top 10 most probed ports, so that's the volume of probes. Um, And the number one port for this week is 80TCP, which is unchanged from last week. Uh, Number two is 23TCP, which is Telnet. Uh, 22TCP is SSH. 8545TCP is Ethereum, the the GF daemon. In fifth place, we have a uh, 2345TCP, which is Postgres PostgreSQL, which actually there's a bit of a data glitch last week, um, but it's been down five since last week, Mm -hmm. Um, but we'll go into that one in a second. Uh, 445 TCP, which is SMB, most likely related to the Eternal Blue, Eternal Romance family of vulnerabilities. Port 8000 TCP has jumped up out of nowhere, which is what uh, Ganes had talked about. 1433 is Microsoft SQL Server, which is down two spots. 3389 is Remote Desktop Protocol, also down two spots. And rounding out with number 10 is 21TCP, FTP. So taking a look at the most sources probing, 445 we talked about is SMB, 23 is TCP. In third place is 8080. Uh, 80TCP is also up there. 80ICMP is our echo request, so a whole lot of ping going on. At 5555 is Android Debug Bridge, which has been in the top 10 for a while. Uh, and that's the Android devices that are exposing a, a debug interface to the Internet, which sounds a little crazy because it is. Uh, ports uh, number 7 and 10 are both related to BitTorrent. Uh, 81-TCP is another web port, and 3-1-ICMP is network unreachable. So with that said, let's take a look at some of these ports. There's 2345, which has been up in the the top for a little while here. Like we said, we had a little bit of a data issue last week. Uh, But this is PostgreSQL. It's another one of these uh, other databases. Uh, It turns out that it's another one of the databases that doesn't authenticate its users by default. Mm. So Mm. as long as you can connect to the port, you can talk to it. And it seems like every week we've got a different database that was never meant to be put on the internet, and people can go and query it or even use features of it to install software, do crypto mining and things like that. Uh, so the scan flows you can see that you know around the 13th there was a sort of a, a test spike I would, I would probably call that and then starting or mid, midday on the 15th we had a significant up, uptick and it did fall off here in the last uh, 24 to 48 hours um, whether that will come back or not has remains to be seen you
1: know it's interesting uh, you mentioned that this uh, Postgres doesn't have any uh, security controls on it and actually it turns out that there are a number of database technologies that have that property and many times database technologies it's all about you know just organizing data and facilitating lookup or analysis it's not necessarily to protect that data so um, and particularly when organizations are trying database technology in a cloud environment, it is kind of a recipe for disaster if you're not very careful about it from a security standpoint.
0: Yep, and we have covered a couple of those technologies. Redis, in particular, was the last couple of weeks. In fact, when I was making my slides today, I took my slide for Redis, and I changed the numbers in the name, and the phrase, does not authenticate, users by default data theft that possible, <laughs> oh, wow. was just, yeah, just use mm-hmm. it again, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, scan sources on port 23 telnet, uh, this is a 60-day view, and it's been up and down. It, it seems like it's come, come a long way, but I guess 23 telnet is not as lucrative a scanning target as it had been. We do see a small, small spike in the last 24 hours here, but definitely down from the, the glory days of the last year and the year before. Uh, scan sources on uh, 445 SMB, it actually is trending downwards as well. Uh, but a regular daily cycle we've been observing for, for quite some time here. Uh, so this is your port 8,000 TCP. I had pulled a 15-day view of the scan flows per hour. Uh, like you said, this is CV 2018, uh, 10,088 being used by Satori. The bug is a buffer overflow bug. Uh, I went back 300, uh, that's actually 300, no. I show eight. I show 15 days here, uh, but I pull, I went back 365 to see if the landscape looked any different, and it didn't. I mean, these, these small upticks here was the extent of what you would see. Nothing compares to the spike that
1: we just saw. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's, that's a heck of a spike.
1: I mean, it's pretty <laughs> formidable, yeah. With, with peaking out a little over 600 million mm-hmm. probes in an hour, and from our visibility standpoint, which is not covering the entire network by any stretch of the imagination. It's a, it's a, a representative sampling. So this is an interesting one I don't have a full picture of yet, but uh, port uh,
0: 10,022 showed up on our, our wording, and there's uh, only a handful of sources responsible for this in China, but it is peaking out somewhere around 14 million scan flows per hour. No. Yeah, for, yeah, per hour there. Yeah. Um, and that sort of came out of nowhere as well. This is a 15-day view, and going back beyond that isn't very interesting either. Um, 10,022, the most I could see about it was that it was being used or suggested as an alternate SSH port uh, for some people who were wanting to change their their SSH port Mm because they were probably seeing tons and tons of brute force attempts. Mm -hmm. Um, So it may be that somebody else is branching out finding other places SSH is hiding and trying the same tactics against them. Mm -hmm. That's what I I think this is. And the last one is uh, 17,990 TCP, which is related to HP ILO Remote Console, and that also, uh, had triggered some of our alerting in the last couple of days. So I pulled 90 days' worth. Seems that we had actually seen a major spike a while back. Mm -hmm. Um, But this spike here on the far right is the one that triggered our alerting for today. And there seemed to be, you know, the the top was somewhere around 50 million scan flows per hour. Um, This recent one was uh, 25,000. Uh, these are typically these two sources in the U.S. that show up a lot when you take a look at the alerting that we've got, and then there was one in Romania that showed up periodically as well. Not always, but, but occasionally, yeah. And that's it for the internet weather for this week. All
1: right. Very good. Well, very good. Hopefully some of these problems will go away. The views expressed on at and track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of at and or any other person or entity.